Good morning, Oak Mountain. As I was thinking about the passage that I wanted to preach from and praying about it, very soon became evident to me that I wanted to preach from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This uh, passage, uh, Hebrews, was written to encourage Christians in the early church who were going through incredible suffering and uh, trials. And so I thought, man, that would be an appropriate thing to consider as I thought about uh, what I would preach from. But really, Pooley should be the one preaching from this passage. He loves to run, and this passage is all about running. And I hate running. I'd rather work up a sweat building something than going out and wearing out a pair of perfectly good tennis shoes uh, on asphalt. But I think there's something in this passage for all of us, whether you like to run or not. So bear with me if you would. Last week, Bob talked about God carrying us through trials. God doesn't just call upon us to endure trials, but he calls upon us to prosper through them. And this passage, I think, really will help us. So I'm going to invite you where you are to stand as we read Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, just out of a desire to show reverence to God and to His Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let us pray together. Lord God, we do ask that you would give us wisdom, insight, understanding from this passage. Lord, that you, through this passage and the ministry of your Spirit, you would minister to our souls and meet us right now where we are in the trials that we face. And we pray this and ask this together in your name. Amen. How will you thrive through this and any other crisis that we are yet to face? Each one of us will thrive or prosper as we run with endurance, as we fix our gaze on Jesus, and as we meditate upon Him. So let's look at uh, point one. We will thrive in crisis by running with endurance. Okay, which one of us doesn't want to thrive in crisis? All of us, right? How? We run with endurance, right? That's what the passage is saying. Awesome. So grab your bootstraps and pull them up and let's go. Is that what the author of Hebrews is saying? I would say no, absolutely not. So let's explore a little bit more what he means. 
there are three descriptors that help us understand the meaning, the invitation, the encouragement, and the challenge. First, the invitation. As we look at this passage, I want you to take note in verse 1 of all the plurals. We are surrounded. Let us lay aside. Let us run. Run the race that is set before us. The writer is inviting us to a corporate run, basically a corporate run. You do not have to feel alone in running this life of faith. Another thing is that this isn't some high school coach who is chiding you and scolding you and telling you to push yourself. No, this is an invitation. It's an invitation for us to lock arms together and run together. It's an invitation for us to experience our best good and to experience that together. I have to confess to you that the first time I studied this passage and thought about it, I focused on getting rid of sin. You know, that part where it says we have to throw off every encumbrance and the sin which clings so closely. And my thought was, okay, it's me and Jesus. It's all up to me. But that's not what's being described here. It has taken most of my adult life to understand that it is critical to run the Christian life of faith with others. And I am so thankful to God for the brothers and sisters that He has put in my life who have helped me to run, and they've encouraged me in this run. You want to weather life's crises, do it in community. It's really the only way. Now let's look at the encouragement. The next descriptor to help us run with endurance is encouragement. Quite often when we are facing trials and difficulties, we feel like the whole world is arrayed against us. But the writer And what God wants to do through the writer is help us understand the weight of the force that God has arrayed for us to support us and encourage us in our trials. What are those encouragements? As I mentioned earlier, we don't run this race alone. But then he also talks about there's this We're being cheered on by this great cloud of witnesses. He says that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Think back to when you were a kid and you were in Little League and uh, your parents maybe and a few friends or your grandparents were in the stadium or in the stands. Did you run harder? Did you run faster? Did you try harder? Yes. But... What's really interesting about this passage is it's not a picture of a handful of family and friends who are sitting in the bleachers. No, it is an entire stadium. The word is encompassed. We are completely surrounded by an overwhelmingly great cloud of witnesses. 
Actually, the writer stacks up this list of so great a cloud of witnesses to emphasize the fact that we have this massive historic cheering section. This cheering section are the folks who have lived out the Christian life by faith. As we, if we went back and read in chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And then he lists throughout chapter 11, this list of those who have run with endurance. And what I love about that list is, it's not a group of people who ran perfectly, He includes David and Samson and Abraham. They were people who made mistakes, but over the course of their life, they ran with endurance. Isn't it encouraging to your soul to know that those who have gone before have suffered greatly, great loss, and they have survived, they have thrived? Included in that list might be missionary folks like Mary Slessor. Mary Slessor was born in extreme poverty, and she desired to serve the Lord overseas. And she went overseas, and she lived and died in Africa. And even today, people remember the name of Mary Slessor and the profound impact that she had. People like Ravi Zacharias. Other heroes of the faith might include, for me, Allison Allred, Buck Phillips, members of Oak Mountain, a mom, a husband, friends. They were not perfect, but they have run that race with endurance. They have run the life of faith that the Father had marked out for them. Let their lives of faith infuse courage into our souls as well. Oh, there's one more thing. You know the word witnesses, where it says, so great a cloud of witnesses? In Greek, that word is martyrs. That great group of folks who are cheering you on are folks who are willing to suffer and die. Some of them were great heroes. Others lived life very simply, and they lived in obscurity, but they lived faithfully. What a huge encouragement to our souls. Also, this passage begins with the word, therefore. The writer says that in light of everything that he said before, we should then run with endurance. He says that, And we really need to go back to chapter 11, and I wish we had time to go back and and really look at uh, chapter 11 to look at all the lives of faith that he describes. But in verse 38, he says, they were people of whom the world was not worthy. Wow. And then in verse 39 and 40, he says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
I want you to get that. That they of whom the world was not worthy should not be made perfect. Their life of sacrifice, their life of faith should not be made perfect apart from our life of sacrifice, our life of faith. People, your suffering matters. The suffering that you're going through matters. It does not go unnoticed by the Father. My prayer is that whatever you are suffering right now, that this encouragement would put steel in the backbone of your faith and encourage you. Next, there's the challenge. In order for us to thrive and to run with endurance, the writer says we must throw off the weight and the sin which clings so uh, closely. I love that the writer says that we also must do this. He is joining us with the saints of old and saying that we are invited, encouraged, we're challenged to join them. We're not alone in the sacrifices that we're being called upon to make. Now, there are two things that he calls us to throw off, sin and encumbrances. I think all of us understand the call of God to throw off sin, the things that might prevent us from running uh, the race faithfully. For me, one of the great struggles is not to minimize my sin. Because if I minimize it and pretend that it's not something great, then I don't, I'm not prone to throw it off. What is the sin that you tend to minimize? Or the sin that you are tempted to toy with that would entangle you and keep you from running the race faithfully that God has set before you? It's interesting that he goes on and he says the next thing is that we must cast off encumbrances. The encumbrances that he's describing are actually clothing. So a runner would take off their robe. Think about that a minute. Clothing is something that is allowable. It's good. He is then challenging us as believers to wrestle with and consider, what should I give up? What are the things that are perfectly allowable that I'm willing to give up, that I'm willing to act upon in self-denial in order to help me run with endurance? Matthew 19, 29 is a great uh, scripture for us to take a look at and consider. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother and children and lands for my sake, those are perfectly good things. 
Is he calling you to lay aside any of those in order to run with endurance the race that is set before you? Or to fulfill a particular call that he has placed upon your life? I want to challenge us to be careful at this point. It would be so easy to judge, to feel like I need to lay aside this particular thing and then judge others because they don't lay it aside. When we're facing trials and difficulties, struggles with sin and weight actually make difficult times more difficult. Running with weight that entangles your feet will exhaust you. We're called to run a race. So let us throw off whatever would hinder us, whatever would entangle us, whatever would exhaust us. (coughs) Excuse me. Each one of us are called to run a race, a course that the Father has set for us. The course looks different for every one of us. For some of us, what God is calling us to run, there are sections of that course that are more grueling or more challenging than others. We run this race, each leg, by faith. We run with endurance. We throw off these hindrances. But we do not run it in our own strength. Let's look now at uh, point two. We run it by looking to Jesus. We run this race looking to Jesus. If we want to thrive or endure as we run, we're going to do it by looking to Jesus. Actually, I uh, love the NIV uh, translation of this word. It says to fix our eyes on Jesus. It reminds me of Peter when he gets out of the boat He begins walking on the water, and as long as his eyes were locked on Jesus in Matthew 14, he was okay. But when he looked away and he saw the waves and the winds and he began to fear, he sank. The word for fixing our eyes on Jesus actually means turning our eyes away from everything else, turning our eyes away from those things that would Uh, lead us to fear. Think about when you're most tempted to fear. Typically, when you're most tempted to fear, your vision is full of what ifs. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, calm comes over our souls. There's no cheering section that compares with Jesus cheering us on. Not even that great cloud of witnesses. Why? Because the scripture says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. This is not bootstrap religion. You do not save yourself. You cannot save yourself. Our confidence isn't in our grip on him. Our confidence is in his grip on us. As Philippians 2.13 says, It is he who is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. We have a responsibility to run with endurance, but he is the one who strengthens, empowers, 
and supernaturally enables each one of us to run the race that the Father has set out for each one of us. I remember when we got off the plane in Japan in 1988, young family with uh, three children, completely illiterate. I remember walking through Narita Airport and looking around and I'm like, I can't read these signs. I can't speak this language. People are talking and I do not understand anything. We were put in a position where we had to, we were forced to fix our gaze upon Jesus. It was hard. It was really hard. But we have often said it was really good. God has done some of the greatest work in our souls through that time. The writer goes on to say that Jesus did this for the joy that was set before him. As I was reading this and studying this and thinking about it, I was like, what? What about the cross could possibly bring Jesus joy? And then as I read commentaries, as I thought about it, it began to, I began to understand. Pleasing the Father gave Jesus great joy. Redeeming you, redeeming me gave him great joy. The sense of mission well accomplished gave him joy. Seeing evil defeated gave him joy. Taking his seat at the throne of God, successful, taking his rightful place as the king on the judgment seat gave him joy. You see, when you look to Jesus, you are supernaturally reminded of those things. When, when I, when you, when we fix our gaze on him, we are reminded that Jesus stepped between us and the Father and he absorbed the full wrath of God that was due you, that was due me for our sin. When we fix our gaze upon him, we are reminded that Jesus then turns to each one of us and gives us his righteous robe. And so we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You know what that means? That when the Father looks at us, he sees us as righteous as Jesus. No longer is there wrath or fear of wrath. When we fix our gaze upon him, we are reminded that Jesus has conquered our two great enemies, sin and death. And he is seated, reigning as king, waiting to welcome us as his children. When you remember his sufferings, it dignifies your sufferings. It puts the sufferings, the things that we're going through, it puts them in perspective. When we fix our gaze upon Him, God supernaturally, God's supernatural transforming power actually enables us to thrive through crisis, through this crisis and whatever other crisis we will face in this sad life. Now I want to ask you before we move on, what would prevent us from looking to Jesus? 
guilt, doubts, sin, pain or painful circumstances, lies. As I reflected upon that and reflected upon this passage, it reminded me of when Diana was in labor with each of our children. As the pain of transition came upon her, I remember at times she would just crumple in pain. And the pain would cause her to lose focus. And I had to say, honey, honey, look at me and breathe. And it was through the breathing that she was then able to withstand or to thrive through the pain. When guilt, doubt, doubts, or pain, or lies of the enemy cause you to lose focus, what do we need to do? Fix our gaze upon Him. Fix our gaze on Jesus and waltz. Repent, believe, and fight. Our third point is that we meditate on Him. And by meditating on Him, we will not grow weary. And we find that in verse 3. Actually, there's a dramatic shift between verses 1 and 2, and then you move into 3. You remember I said earlier that in verse 1 and 2, there were all these plurals, us's and we's. When you get to verse 3, it shifts dramatically to you. It is in command form. You must consider him so that you do not grow weary. While we're still being invited to join in this together, there is this challenge, this command, this encouragement that you have a role to play. You have to meditate upon Him. You have to consider Him so that you do not grow weary. That word at the beginning of verse 3 says, consider Him can also be translated meditate. Each one of us is called upon to engage our minds and fight to meditate upon Jesus and His work on our behalf. If you have any hope of being sustained through difficult trials, and of not being faint-hearted. You must think on Him and all that He endured on your behalf. That is guaranteed to give you perspective and is also guaranteed to enable you to not grow weary during trying times. I got a perfect example for you. All of you think that my international travels as a missions pastor is um, romantic. I really believe that most of you think that. But I wish you had been with me last January. Steve Klein and I were coming back from uh, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And we boarded our flight at midnight. For our 24-plus-hour trip home, we were already exhausted. We get on this packed 737, I mean, just crammed in there to take the six-hour overnight flight to Istanbul. Right before we headed out to the airport, we tried to check in, 
And we found out that our connecting flight in Istanbul had been moved up by five hours. And Air France had just chosen not to let us know. Almost everything that possibly could go wrong did go wrong. So we, we land in Istanbul. We, uh, we missed our connecting flight. The uh, gate agent, the gate was closed. And so we couldn't, um, we couldn't get onto our flight. We couldn't reserve a new flight. I was about at my wit's end. It is at moments like that that I always reflect on Paul's missionary journeys. You remember at the end of uh, Acts, the Apostle Paul is in a small ship and they're being driven across the Mediterranean Sea, driven by storms. They're fear of losing their lives. And I say to myself, consciously say to myself, quit your whining, TP. You will be okay. And thankfully, I had Steve Klein there to talk me off the ledge. Actually, we talked one another off the ledge because we were pretty frustrated. We do the same thing when we meditate upon Jesus and all that he endured. Are you tired? Are you weary of isolation? I am. When I thought this was going to last two weeks, I was like, okay, cool. We got this. And I was thinking, basically, I can do this. We can do this in our own strength. And I bet you, you felt the same way, right? Now we are all weary and a bit desperate for normalcy. Anybody else out there tired of Zoom? What about face masks? Feel like you're going to suffocate under those things. Now those are kind of, inconveniences. But what about the economy and what about people's jobs and people's livelihoods? When we are prone to focus on these things, those things, this passage challenges and encourages us to meditate upon Jesus. We must remember what he endured. We must remember all that he willingly endured for you and for me. He suffered much worse than anything that we will face through COVID-19 or anything we will face in all of our lives. Meditate on the hostility. The, the verse uses this word. The hostility that Jesus was willing to endure at the hand of sinners. And that will fuel your endurance. I'll tell you what else it'll fuel. It'll fuel your witness. If you think of what Jesus endured at the hands, the hostility that he endured at the hands of sinners. Remember, too, that he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is at work in us. He is at work in us even through this virus. I love the picture, the image in Malachi 3.3, where it says that God sits as a refiner. He sits at the refining fire, and he is watching the silver, and he's making sure that the temperature is just hot enough to burn off the dross, but not damage the silver. And God is doing that exact same thing in us. 
He is building. He is renovating. He is refining. He is purifying our faith. And he's using these unprecedented times to chisel away at our rough edges. So let us fix our gaze upon him and run with endurance. In conclusion, this trial is not over, people. And even when this one ends, there will be others. But this passage offers us incredible hope and encouragement as we walk through those valleys. He alone will enable us to prosper in spite of the circumstances, whatever circumstances we're in. Let me encourage us. Let's join Greg Poole, not running out in some crazy course that he runs, but running the life of faith. And I know that he loves that kind of running even more. As we fix our eyes on Jesus and run the life of faith, run out this life of faith that God has called us to, the course to which he has called us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to fix our gaze on you and to run with endurance, enabled, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the testimony of Christ, by the work of your Spirit in us. And we ask this together, Lord Jesus, in your wonderful, beautiful, matchless, and powerful name. Amen.